Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward. I'm a senior residential analyst at Knight Frank. And today I'm joined by Jonathan Ivory. Jonathan is a managing director at Package Living and Oliver Knight, who's residential research partner at Knight Frank. Thank you so much, Jonathan and Oliver, for joining me. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having us. Hi, Anna. Good to be here. And in this episode, we'll be looking at why investors are piling into suburban build to rent. So this is a relatively new sector in the UK housing market. We have, of course, seen build to rent in city centres. But more recently, we're seeing investors betting on the growth of rental demand in the suburbs as adults in their mid-30s to mid-40s are increasingly looking to rent rather than buy. So, Jonathan, to start with you, it'd be great to hear how you think we should be defining this new market. I mean, is suburban built to rent really just about broadening rental stock options to meet this rising demand from sort of 35 to 45-year-olds? It's definitely true that single-family rental skews more towards a slightly older demographic. To put everything in a box, if multifamily is kind of 25 to 35 plus then single family is kind of more skews, more 35 to 45 plus. Now, obviously, there are outliers and that's to be kind of quite generalistic about it. But it's definitely true that people who are more encumbered by things like marriage, children and seeking, you know, schooling and security of tenure tend to be in that older demographic and tend to be you know, moving out of urban or city centre flatted rental accommodation into suburban or fringe urban housing as a means of housing. And Oliver, what about you? What's your sort of take on defining this relatively new market for the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a relatively new market in terms of institutional investment coming into it, but it's not a new market in terms of the kind of renters who who live in it. So, I mean, to kind of throw a few stats your way, Anna, I mean, there's about 4.5, 4.6 million privately rented households across the UK. About 60% of them already live in houses. About 50% of them already live in suburban areas. So single family isn't you know, creating a new market. We're, we're building into an existing market. It's just about offering those renters um, more choice. And to Jonathan's point about those those older households, about 27% of, of all of those privately rented households are aged between 35 and 44. And, and households over the age of 35 have been the fastest growing group of, of private renters over the last decade or so. So um, not only is this a market that already exists, but it's a market that's growing as well. And uh, I guess the elephant in the room is how affordable do you think the new offering will be? I mean, Jonathan, obviously, you know, you guys are building and developing in the area. Are you aiming to provide options that perhaps are as affordable or perhaps more affordable than what's currently on the market for families that are looking for rental stock? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's affordable by definition. And by that, I mean, we're not seeking to obtain a rental premium for this product. So typically, we will comp to, you know, local two, three, maybe four bed properties that were built for you know, ostensibly the, the owner-occupier market that might now be in the, you know, the buy-to-let market. And they are being rented, right? And so there's a demonstrable price that's proven. So it is affordable by definition. But, but to kind of expand on your, I think what your question's asking is, you know, is how does this relate to multifamily from a price point? And I suppose to, to answer the question, the, the reason why we're particularly drawn to this sector is because the profile of these schemes is very amenity light. So if multifamily is one of the characteristics of multifamily is schemes that are kind of infused with 
fitness centers and club rooms and, you know, flex workspace and to kind of at one end of the spectrum, you know, rooftop running tracks and indoor cinemas and et cetera, et cetera. That all comes at a cost. And in order to get the underwrite to stack up or the pro forma, one typically needs to ascribe a level of, of rental premium in order to justify that expense. Whether that's achievable or not is unique to the individual business plan and asset. But it's a fairly kind of consistent theme in multifamily. So there's risk inherent in that business model, where a single family is characterized by really having none of those things. Our schemes are well-located, well-appointed, appropriately specified, but they don't have all the bells and whistles or the frills that a multifamily scheme will have. Therefore, we don't need to supercharge the rent in order to get a, a return on that investment. Um, The other reason why we're kind of in love with this sector now, if you will, is because the operating costs are typically less than you would see in the multifamily sector. There's a few reasons for that. Single family doesn't have kind of miles and miles of empty corridors that need to be maintained. It doesn't have complicated lift cores. It doesn't have, you know, cladding issues necessarily or balconies that are always breaking. And it doesn't have, to my earlier point, all the amenities that, that, you know, needs to be upkept and, and is expensive to maintain. But doesn't that lead to the more obvious question really of, of why, you know, major investors haven't been, you know, piling into this at a much earlier point? Well, if I could just kind of finish the, the first point. So less amenity space, less common errors equals, you know, less operating expense. Also, we have, because of the underlying demographic that we talked about earlier, you have a rental profile that is, as I said, more encumbered by marriage, uh, more encumbered by children, seeking security of tender, more locked into locations that's desirous of good schools and staying in those good schools and is focused on, you know, not moving. Not moving means longer leases. Longer leases means lower churn. Lower churn means lower operating expense, which is better NOI, better valuation. And if you can operate for less, then you can offer those rents out at a lower price point. Ergo, rents are more affordable and you can capture a larger share of the market. So there's a lot to like about the sector. To your last question, though, why have investors not identified that sooner? I think there's two points. One is when the sector was taking off, the build to rent sector, that is kind of, you know, I mean, I've been doing this since I think 2012. It was just lower hanging fruit to invest in city center apartments. It was easier to explain the business plan and the rationale and the demand to investors who have traditionally invested in commercial real estate, not residential, not alternatives for forever in a day for them to understand, yes, I get that young people, young professionals leaving student accommodation or leaving home, getting their first jobs, moving to towns and cities, following that kind of globalized trend to urbanization. I get why they would rent in in apartments. Therefore, I can get behind that business plan and invest in that sector. Why would you say, Oliver, that um, perhaps this market's become more visible now? You know, why do you think investors are perhaps more aware of this new catchment of 35 to 45 year olds that need more rental options? Yeah, I I mean, I actually think that the, the kind of success that we've seen from the city centre multifamily market over the last five, six, seven years or so has really kind of helped lay the groundwork for this move to the suburbs that we're seeing now. So investors are now comfortable with the kind of product, they're comfortable with everything that goes into multifamily. And that's really just given them the confidence to kind of expand and, and look at that kind of greater pool of demand or that greatest pool of demand, even when it comes to the number of, of renters. And actually, because of that, you, you know, unlike, say, the early years of the multifamily market where, you know, investment was 
a lot more gradual until we we kind of saw proof of concept. Um, actually, the, the, what we're seeing now in in the kind of single family and, and suburban market is a rapid kind of increase from a range of of institutional capital over a far shorter period. So whether that's private equity, whether it's funds, you know, we, we're seeing a lot more of them looking to get into the sector now, and, and that's happening at a much faster pace than we saw with the, with the multifamily market. And I think that's just a natural progression that that we've seen, and the fact that as say investors are just a lot more comfortable with the kind of rental or or purpose-built rental product um, now than than they were before. So where do you see the challenges then? Because obviously, as Jonathan's also laid out, you know, there's obviously lower operating costs. Obviously, the market's more established. The concept seems to be there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Jonathan will will say that he'd like it a lot more if there was less competition in the market. It would would make his job a lot easier. But I think as well as that, one of the big issues at the moment is, is just kind of finding assets and getting product to market. So the reality is that when you're building this kind of single family product or bidding for kind of sites, you're competing with the sales market. Now, the sales market has been exceptionally strong over the last year or so. And that that has naturally just meant that house builders have been able to be a lot more competitive in terms of their bids for land. So there's a lot of competition on that side. That's probably one of the the kind of biggest barriers at the moment. And, And it's one of the reasons why we would expect that we'll see a lot more partnership agreements being agreed between funds and house builders going forward. So uh, apportioning off sections of larger sites for rental product. And that's something which is is only going to become more prevalent when things like help to buy ends. So, you know, house builders who have been traditionally reliant on selling stock via help to buy are going to have to find new routes to market. And the amount of capital which is targeting single family would suggest that this is, is one obvious route to do that. Jonathan, is that your experience? Are you finding it difficult to access sites and are you looking at partnerships with others to access them? We're not finding it difficult to access sites. We are developing partnerships and and indeed probably 80% of our pipeline or our strategy contemplates a partnership with a volume and or PLC home builder who will do the delivery whilst we focus on kind of the lease up and operations end of the risk spectrum. But we are developing. So we are buying sites. We are a developer in our kind of core, our DNA. So we see that as an important route to market. It won't always be thus that home builders are necessarily willing to sell you know, inventory and stock to us. Whilst we are optimistic around the expiration of help to buy and the general kind of mood music is the trend towards partnerships and including sales to institutions like us as part of the broader tenure mix on any one site, if that mix is, includes, you know, Section 106, some market sale to owner-occupiers and build to rent. We think that is an increasing part of the kind of the delivery mix of, of home builders. But it might not always be the way. So groups like us who can develop, who have that expertise, are kind of well positioned to weather the cyclicality of kind of you know, those peaks and troughs of the market. But I think the, the general mood music or the trend is towards more partnership deals as home ownership becomes increasingly unaffordable. And ergo, you know, more people will rent. Yeah, on that note, thinking of the consumer, the, you know, the people that will actually be moving into these developments, from a sort of design perspective and a sustainability perspective, what are you doing that will be different to say what they can find in the existing private rental market? I mean, I think I'd start by saying we're not naive enough to think that consumers are led by the sustainability credentials of our homes. We think it's important. Right now, it's probably a lot more important to us as investors and our lenders 
and just the market generally that we seem to be pioneers in the sustainability and the and the kind of the ESG credentials that are inherent in our schemes and I'll come on to those in a second. I don't think we'll necessarily ever move away from a world of location, 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 i.e. whether they're renters or, or home buyers, you know, it's where did they want to live? And then second to that, a close second is, is affordability or viability. And then the other considerations come into play. Now, I think ESG or um, the environment rather is increasingly rising on the agenda for consumers. And so it will become more and more important. And indeed, we're kind of badging our product as a sustainable product. And I think that will probably benefit us down the road but i don't i don't think it's the day one consideration yet no although i suppose perhaps sort of energy savings and things if it's leading to some sort of visible cost saving and stuff right if we can demonstrate how that will affect you know the pound in your pocket and what savings we can create but that aside we're doing it anyway so the kind of the biggest headline grabbing item that i can share with you from from our business plan is we've taken the decision the bold decision we think to completely remove carbon or fossil fuels as a means of heating these homes. And we've done that in favour of using a combination of air source heat pumps and photovoltaics. And so our homes will be fully electrically heated going forward. We'll be able to monitor energy usage and report on that usage. And they'll be able to use that data to improve you know, how we build homes in future, but also advise our residents on how they can operate those, those homes more efficiently. And then other little things like EV charging stations, although I was a little disappointed to see the government's announcement about rolling out those out on new build homes today, because we thought we were way ahead of the curve and they've stolen a little bit of our thunder. But we welcome that kind of decision making because all our homes will share that profile. Thank you so much, Oliver and Jonathan. Uh, really fascinating to hear how investors are targeting this market. As we've discussed, not an entirely new market, but certainly reflective of changing demographics in the UK. And it'll be really interesting to see how a different tenure mix taps into that demand going forward. So thank you once again for joining me. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna. We really enjoyed it. So for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.